Hey, welcome to Calvary. I'm Megan. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to happen over the next hour. First, our band is going to lead us in worship. That helps us understand who God is and express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to take some time to let you know about some things that are going on here at Calvary. Then, one of our pastors will be sharing an encouraging message from the Book of Acts. I'm so glad you're here. Well, it's a bitterly cold, windy, snowy day, some two hours northeast of Fort McMurray, and we're picking up massive steel beams and pipe, and we're pounding them into the ground with a powerful diesel hammer. And this short little video clip will give you an idea of what part of the process looks like. Now imagine this with me as well. It's not bright and sunny and a picnic on the beach like you just saw. The contrast is overwhelmingly intimidating. It's frigid and it's overcast and all of the surfaces are frozen and icy and deathly slippery. And the wind and the biting snow are whipping you in your face and unnervingly swaying the top of the crane back and forth. Imagine also that in those conditions, you get to climb and do maintenance on the highest part of the crane that you just saw, some hundred feet in the air. It's like climbing a 10-story building on the outside. You'll need to ascend the narrow steel apparatus using your, the small holes for your hands and, and barely enough room to get a boot in. And as you climb up, there'll be joints with no holes in at all. So you've got to pull yourself past that joint to the next hole. How many of you are not fans of great heights? Right? Okay. We're being real this morning, right? Okay, my foreman could do it, but ultimately it's my job, it's my calling in that moment to do what had to be done. 
And frankly, the fear was overwhelming. And that very instant in time, at that decisive crossroads, my foreman looks at me and in the most sarcastic way possible says, I'll do it if you're too scared to. (laughs) And he uses a lot more descriptive language when he says it. But suddenly, I have a way out. I have a way of escape. Surely, God must be providing it for me. But I knew in my heart at that moment of overwhelming fear and dread that if I gave in to the fear then, I would likely give in to fear over and over again. So I muster up all of the courage and attitude I possibly can, which was about this much. And I glare back at him, and in the most cocky way possible, I say, I've got this, as if I do this sort of thing for fun all the time. As I start to climb, my legs are literally like jelly, My heart is racing, I'm shaking, and just to make things interesting, the whole crane section I'm climbing is swaying back and forth. When I reach the top, and this is the real fun part, I get to let go of my two-handed death grip because I'm going to need my hands for my tools, and I have to lean back and rely on the harness that is holding me to the big mast. And yes, I had a safety harness and a safety line. This wasn't a a suicide mission. But at that moment, some 16 years ago, besides my safety gear, there were two keys that helped me keep the intense fear at bay. The first was interesting enough the verse I read that smor- uh, the verse that I read that morning, Psalms 116:8, which said, "Lord, you saved my soul from death. You stop my tears. You keep me from falling." That was very comforting. <laughs> the second key was that I could never look down. I had to keep looking up. I had to keep my eyes on the skies. And even today in culture, as the darkness and the fear and perversity swirl all around us and the enemy and his demonic forces ramp up their evil, destructive attacks because they know their time is short, It's so important not to look down and allow our hearts to be overwhelmed by fear, but rather to keep our eyes on the skies and the great confidence and faith we have in Jesus Christ, who is seated in power and authority at the right hand of Father God on our behalf and who will soon return in awesome splendor and glory. Well, welcome to October. I'm Pastor Doug, and today we continue our series from the book of the Bible called Acts. Not like Acts Spray, you know, but Acts. For those of you who may not know, this is a crazy, exciting, powerful, and very historically accurate book that tells the story 
immediately after Jesus' documented death and resurrection. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 1, 9 to 11 today, and the title of my message is A Church That Thrives Keeps Its Eyes on the Skies. A Church That Thrives Keeps Its Eyes on the Skies. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that brings life, that brings hope, that shows us that One day, Jesus Christ soon will return in power and glory. So God, fill our hearts with hope today, we pray. God, may your word come into our hearts. May your spirit come and be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Pastor Barry shared a great message that set the foundation for so much of our series. So you'll really want to catch it if you missed it. It was that important. He included the theme verse. Really, it's the mission statement for the entire book and our entire series, which said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, how important were these words of Jesus? Well, they were the last recorded words he said to his disciples. You know what? There was no, goodbye, I'll miss you, or see you later, Peter, make good choices, and good luck with that. No, his last words were a most significant and powerful promise. They would represent a mind-blowing shift in what the kingdom of God was going to look like. Last week, Pastor Barry defined the kingdom of God as anywhere that Jesus Christ rules. Well, when Jesus was on earth, he had a very limited scope of influence. While the kingdom of God was powerful and and real, its scope included Jesus, his 12 closest followers, and then maybe several hundred more in this tiny little country. What would it take to increase the influence of this kingdom? How could it possibly have a worldwide reach? Let's begin reading. After saying those final words, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So this passage that we just read is referred to as the ascension of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. And it's a very important doctrine of the church worldwide, and it even makes up part of our doctrinal statement here at Calvary. And a summary of it basically says that Jesus was crucified, He rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
We'll look at more specifics of the ascension in a bit, but first we'll, we'll break down the verse. So it says, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So how many of you have released a balloon or you've watched someone release a bunch of balloons up into the air and you're watching them go higher and higher and they become this little speck? I think we've all done that, right? So that's what the disciples are trying to do. Jesus begins to go up, begins to ascend, and and then there's this cloud and suddenly Jesus is gone. And they're looking and they're looking and they can't see him anymore. Well, we know that Jesus didn't just go up through the atmosphere and out into space and he's kind of just floating around there right now. No. Instead, clouds in the Bible often symbolize the presence of God and or another dimension. So several times in the Old Testament, God shows up to the nation of Israel in a cloud or as a cloud. And in the New Testament, when Peter, James, and John are given just a brief glimpse of the glory of Jesus, God speaks to them from a cloud. You see, God's glory is so intense and so powerful that for now, with these fragile bodies, he needs to veil his glory with the clouds. So this part of the verse literally has a double meaning. They actually saw clouds, but these clouds represented Jesus going from this earthly dimension to a heavenly dimension and God's presence. Then it goes on to say, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. So these two men are angels. Scholars kind of disagree as to which they were, but, but what is important is that they were witnesses to Jesus's ascension. And scripture reinforces many times the importance of proving something with at least two or three witnesses. Sometimes they were human, sometimes they were angels, and sometimes they were both. But at every significant event of Jesus's life, from his birth to his baptism to his transfiguration to crucifixion and resurrection and now his ascension, the principle of witness and proof is true. It was crucial that there were witnesses to both Jesus's humanity and to Jesus's deity. Verse 11 says, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring up into heaven? The disciples never seemed to be blown away by the miraculous. Of course, they stood intently watching Jesus ascending into heaven. Not only was this an awesome sight to see, it was probably sad and again, very shocking for them. After all, they had followed Jesus for over three years, giving up their lives to learn from him and do what he asked. And then they mourned his death and they rejoiced in his resurrection, but they certainly didn't expect him to leave for good, even though he warned them many times that he would. 
And they had just asked him for about the hundredth time when he was going to overthrow the Romans, when he was going to set up his throne as king. And Jesus let them know yet again that they were on the wrong track. So with Jesus' departure, they likely felt very alone, very abandoned, very conflicted. And I'm sure we would have too. So these two witnesses try and take their focus off of Jesus leaving to the coming empowerment and mission that was for them. To encourage them, these two angels or men say, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. One translation says, this same Jesus has been taken from you, which I love, meaning that the same Jesus who loved them, who cared for them, who came from heaven to walk among them, the virgin born, the sinless, the spotless, the crucified, the resurrected, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that guy He's coming back and in the exact same way to the same place, literally, bodily, visibly, gloriously on the clouds for all to see. Daniel 7 says, the son of man coming with the clouds. Zechariah 14 says, the Lord will come and return to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 24 says, the son of man appears in heaven coming on the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4 says the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And Revelation 1 says he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone, everyone will see him. Huh. Interestingly, there is no mention of a secret coming or a secret rapture. Just saying. But if my opinion disagrees with yours, Please send your emails to bregeer at calvarycommunity.ca. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm sure he does too. Now, I want to look at the importance of Christ returning to heaven, his ascension, and how keeping our eyes on the skies is so important for seeing him seated at the right hand of God on our behalf and anticipating his incredible return. So how do we live and carry out his mission in light of these? Well, the majority of our focus as Christ followers is justifiably on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. There are so many powerful truths and life-giving items from his ascension that are often overlooked. So this morning, let's look at what is the significance of Christ returning to heaven, what it meant for Jesus, what it means for the kingdom of God, and what it means for us. So number one, what it meant for Jesus— Mark 16 says, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
The first thing the ascension meant for Jesus was that it signaled the triumphant end of his earthly ministry. Mission accomplished. God sending his son to earth, living among us, crucified, resurrected, and now returning to his father. I read this and thought it was so cool. Christ descends from heaven to earth to bring God to humanity. And then Christ ascends from earth to heaven to bring humanity to God. Like, wow, that was so awesome. Ephesians 4, I love how it's paraphrased. It says, to say that Christ ascended means that he must previously have descended. That is, from the height of heaven to the depth of this world, the one who made this descent is identically the same person as he who has now ascended high above the very heavens, that the whole universe from lowest to highest might know his presence. The second thing the ascension meant for Jesus was that it affirmed and validated his earthly ministry. Even as Jesus dying on the cross looked like humiliation to him, humiliation to the Jewish people and foolishness to the Greeks, God vindicates his son by welcoming, welcoming him back to heaven, giving him the name above every other name, crowning him with glory and honor as both king and high priest, and restoring his magnificent rule over the entire universe by seating him at the right hand of Almighty God. Amen? Amen. The second thing, or the third thing the ascension meant for Jesus was that it ended his human limitation. So no more was it just one man and his ragtag group of followers. Jesus told them he had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. The human limitations that he found re restraining him during his earthly ministry would be gone. And instead of being in one place at one time, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, would be at work in you and in me and throughout the entire world simultaneously. I'm so glad he decided not to just stick around and hang out here on earth. Now let's look at what Christ returning to heaven means for the kingdom of God. Pastor Barry shared a lot more great material on the kingdom of God last week. Again, make sure to catch it if you missed it. But the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of this world. It's not a kingdom of land and armies. It does not grow by military conquest or economic might. And it's not a political, but rather a spiritual kingdom. When John the Baptist proclaimed that the kingdom of God had arrived he was talking about Jesus and his ministry and his sphere of influence. But even as Christ ascends to heaven and his ministry shifts from an earthly to a heavenly ministry, so does the kingdom of God undergo a radical transformation from a several 
person kingdom to an every person kingdom that is found within us and wherever the presence of Jesus is. It is a Holy Spirit-empowered, everlasting, eternal kingdom involving all nations and all people. The final point in terms of what is the significance of Christ returning to heaven is what it means for us, what it means for you, what it means for me. The first thing it means is that we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive his power, his gifts, his character, his comfort, his wisdom, his strength. Why don't you journey with us over this next year and we will see the fulfillment and excitement of all of these things and more. The second thing it means for us is that right here, Right now, for such a time as this, we receive spiritual authority. Ephesians 1 and 2 show us that God raised Christ up from the dead, and when he entered back into heaven, seated him at his right hand, far above all demonic principalities and powers. And we too are also raised up and seated together in Christ at the right hand of the Father. So what does that mean practically? We have the same spiritual authority and spiritual weapon to come against the enemy's attacks in our lives. Is it an attack of sickness and and disease? Is it a chain of of addiction or sinful bondage that we're trying to break and and just can't shake? Is it brokenness in our own lives or broken relationships? Is it unforgiveness we just can't get past? Whatever, whatever the enemy's attack is, Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower yet. Maybe you look and and your life, you just feel like it's been one devastating, crushing thing after another. There is a solution because Christ died. He was resurrected and he returned to heaven with all of his authority given to us. We can be free of these things. That doesn't mean we won't go through tough times. But we don't have to put up with the devil's spiritual attacks. It was almost seven years ago that that my wife and I had undergone one of the most significant spiritual attacks and storms we had ever been through. For her, it was while she was in Florida for three weeks helping her mother and saw and sensed demonic things at work. At the same time, for me, it was a job site where everything that could go wrong did go wrong and continued without any let up and any solutions. The stress and the anxiety and the pressure on both of us peaked after about two and a half weeks when the, when the Holy Spirit clearly showed us that these were spiritual attacks on both fronts, on both our lives, some 4,000 kilometers apart. 
And so we got on the phone together and we took authority over them. And within 24 hours, we saw the attacks break for both of us. The third thing that Christ's ascension means for us personally is that we have an intercessor in heaven praying for us on our behalf. Romans 8 says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's right there. In the very presence of God, he's praying and he's pleading our case to our Heavenly Father. That is so powerful and incredible. The final and greatly significant point that Jesus ascending into heaven means for us is that his promise that he will return again. We sang about it this morning. This is so encouraging and so hope-filled that we need to be on mission. We need to be telling others that no matter what we are seeing going on around us, no matter how bad the economy may feel, no matter how hopeless things seem, no matter how there appears to be no justice for the evil going on, no matter how much the darkness and demonic attacks are increasing, Jesus promised he will return in all his power and glory. Last week, Pastor Barry mentioned that we'd be sharing a powerful testimony this week from an individual in our congregation. His name is Darren, and he's really the most humble, unassuming, regular guy whose greatest desire is to be obedient to Christ. Several years ago, Darren actually died, but God spared him and brought him back to life. A couple years ago, he connected with Pastor Nathan where he committed his life to Christ. And now he's part of the kingdom of God and the army of light and is being used to share the gospel with the thousands in the paranormal community who are spiritually hungry. This group is very in tune with and very aware and are seeing the darkness increase in the world around them and they're desperately looking for answers for the end times. What's going to happen is there light and hope in the darkness. As a matter of fact, since becoming a committed Christ follower, Darren has in turn led others to Christ, including these two light bulbs, which I forgot to put up last Sunday. So let's listen to just a, just a small part of his incredible testimony. Hello, my name is Darren Donnie, and I've been a part of Calvary since 2022. With the help of Pastor Doug and Pastor Nathan, we have done in-person and Zoom presentations to help people realize that Christ is coming soon, and therefore they need to repent of their sins, accept Jesus Christ as their Lord, and Savior and get to know God personally. The preparation for Christ's return and rapture have opened my eyes and given me increased clarity for God's mission and direction for me and for all of us. I really feel that Christ's soon-to-be second coming has certainly stirred up Team Dark in the spiritual realm and the paranormal community is really sensitive and are definitely searching for answers that we have through Jesus. The demons know 
their days are numbered and that they are attacking humanity at an alarming rate because they know they're about to lose the greatest battle to ever happen. Without living in fear, we have to prepare for the end times and Christ's return by leading as many of God's children back into our Father's loving arms for all of eternity. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And it's also so awesome. Thank you, Darren, for that. It's also so awesome that Pastor Nathan, working with Darren together, are starting a Calvary-sponsored microchurch specifically to reach the thousands in the paranormal community. Darren would be the first to say that he's just a regular guy doing his best to be obedient to what God is asking him to do and that you and I can do the same as well. We can have the same passion and commitment to keeping our eyes on the skies and leading others to Christ. In closing, I will be reading the end of the book, The Victorious Triumph, that makes it all worthwhile. But just before that, everyone will be there when Christ returns as conquering king. Everyone will see, everyone will bow. It's just a matter of which team you'll be watching from. Will you be watching from the side of darkness or the side of light? Can I encourage you that if you are not a Christ follower, don't wait. You never know when your number is called and when it's too late to make that decision. If you feel that tug on your heart this morning, come talk to us or talk to the friend who brought you or invited you today. Revelation 19 says, Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride has prepared herself. That is us, church. That is what we are passionately looking and waiting for, to spend eternity with Jesus. The church has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus himself. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Jesus, who came as a humble servant the first time, now comes as the conquering king. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. 
He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe at his thigh was written his title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Amen. This is so powerful so exciting that is why we keep our eyes on the skies that is why we as a church of individuals like Darren and you and me that are on mission and taking the good news of Jesus to the world around us that is why a church like that is a church that thrives amen amen